0: The underground, today we've got an interview with Chris Galanos, who is the founding pastor of Experience Life Church in Lubbock, Texas, which is now a network of many churches meeting across the nation. In the first 10 years of Experience Life's history, God allowed the church to help over 13,000 people commit their lives to Christ and baptized over 7,000 people. Toward the end of the first 10 years, the Lord really began to move on their hearts to give them a new vision, and that was to see 1 million disciples made in their next 10 years. They knew that their strategy for disciple-making would have to change. In the last few years, they've helped start over 25 churches in nine states, launched over 160 discovery groups that have multiplied to the second, third, and fourth generation, and they've trained over 500 disciple makers and church planners across the country. We really think you're going to enjoy this episode, so let's get into it.
1: Well, Chris, we've only actually talked on the phone, so it's good to, it's, it's good to see your face. This is Brian.
2: Hey, Brian. How's it going?
1: I'm,
0: I'm so great right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's been a good day. Do you know um do you know Sam Metcalf from uh president of Novo? If you ever heard you no, know,
2: I don't know him, but I've heard that oh, name.
1: Cool. So we were just talking to him, and so I'm oh, cool. I'm uh, part time staff with Novo. By okay. part time I mean I raise some support through Novo and I raise okay. some support through <laughs> here through KC Underground. And so uh okay. KC Underground is essentially we are we're a microchurch based uh essentially missions organization. That's full like DMM focus. And so the idea wow. is basically we're looking to just take everyday missionaries, plant the gospel wherever it is that they feel like God's calling them, neighborhoods to networks to everywhere in between. And, uh, yeah, man, live as missionaries, find persons of peace, start environments to
2: discover God together. So, so Corey, are you all connected? I'm sure you are with Roy Moran. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, this is like uh, Roy's spiritual child, grandchild, <laughs> something
1: here. No, so. dude, I, I remember Roy when he first started – talking with i don't know if it was first started talking to you but i don't
0: don't say that lightly i meant that as as uh, a compliment yeah Yeah. absolutely
1: yeah like so roy um i mean yeah dude like roy has corrupted me for about the last seven years and so i remember him telling early stories of connecting with the e-life guys and and what you what you crazy guys were up to
2: we read his book and i was like trying to get a hold of him (laughs) uh, just like who is this guy gosh it's somebody a friend of mine had referred me to it and uh yeah, so.
0: Well, tell us a little well, bit about your story because Corey um, could go on for days about you. So I kind of know it, but not everybody does. So sure. tell us your journey.
2: I'll, I'll start talking. You tell me when to stop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I went to a seminary in Fort Worth. We graduated, and my wife and I both since God leading us back to my hometown of Lubbock in West Texas to start a church. And so we came back here and started in 2007. There was about ten of us in a living room, and uh, church planning. Just so you guys know, so when I was in seminary. I took a class on church planning. I thought it was a class on botany. <laughs> I was like, what is church planning? Is this like learning to plant? This is plant flowers at churches. I can do this. I mean, I needed an elective, you know, to graduate. So I'm like botany. I got this. And so I get I get into church planning. And realize that's like a thing. Like people plant start churches. I mean, I'm from a town where there's. Yeah, I don't have any many churches, 400 churches, but you don't usually start new ones. You know what I mean? And so uh, it's kind of crazy going through this class and, and God speaking to us and us coming back home to our city and telling folks, yeah, we're going to start a church. And people are like, you're going to, you're going to what? You're going to start a church? And so anyway, so obviously we couldn't find many people to join us. And so there's uh, 10 of us in a living room. And just with as much faith, you guys, you'd have to be there 10 years ago in our living room. We're back in love, you know, with as much faith as we can muster, We're like, God just pray in the next 10 years you would allow us to reach 10,000 people in our city for Jesus. And we almost just started laughing. Cause we're like, that's impossible. You know, there's not a lot of like huge churches in Lubbock. Lubbock's not like a mega city, like Dallas or anything. And, uh, and so we just, you know, just said, Lord, please, we, we, we're here to, to reach people that aren't already plugged into a church and people that you know haven't found a church to connect with people that haven't found Jesus. And so started long story short grew really fast. And, um, Ten years in, we you know we prayed for we were praying for ten thousand in ten years. Ten years in, we had ten different campuses. We all met together in a coliseum for one service. We normally had twenty something services, probably all met together in a coliseum for one service and celebrated. In the prior ten years, we had seen thirteen thousand three hundred thirty-seven people indicate wow. they were committing their lives to Christ. We had the privilege of baptizing six thousand seven hundred fifty-six. Hmm. So. God blew our minds yeah. by, by what he by what he did. And again, none of us would have assumed there early on that anything like that would be possible in our city.
1: So, so that's what I that's what just blows my mind about your story <laughs> is like you were killing it in that paradigm. And uh reading your book, by the way, which is uh it's called From Mega Church to Multiplication, uh you like that little shout out? right? You can buy it at this website. I don't know what the website is. Um, Brian will put it somewhere on the website. Yeah. I've heard of that website. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so I like you, you tell this story where you're pretty much corrupted and I'm going to use it the nicest way by hearing the stories of what's happening around the world, right? Like weren't you, you were pretty connected with some movement guys. Um, and you got to kind of personally just kind of be corrupted by some of the crazy stuff that's happening globally. Right.
2: I was, Corey, I was definitely gripped. Yeah. So in year eight, you guys, to kind of finish, to kind of take you through the transition. So in year eight, we crossed the 10,000 mark, right? Mm-hmm. Before year 10, the 10,000 mark. And that's people that came, you know, heard the gospel and checked on a card. I'm committing my life to Christ. We made sure you guys, they were like unique names and phone numbers, didn't want to count hands or double count. Like we really wanted to feel like these were, you know, 10,000 people, like with names and phone numbers we could follow up with so exciting. And we, we that's in year eight where we passed the uh, 10,000 mark. And so you guys, we just kind of went back to the beginning again. Our leadership team got together in uh, Dallas and we just said, Lord, um, our vision the first 10 years was for t- 10,000, 10 years. We're in year eight crossing that. What do you want us to pray about or envision in the next 10 years? And guys, around that time, I was, um, Corey, like you're saying, I was influenced by Um, Victor John and the Bojapuri movement in India, which we were familiar with because it had been a mission partners, a mission partner of ours. I was also rereading church planning movements by Dave Garrison. And you guys, I stumbled on two sentences and I share this in the book that just, Corey, use your line line of thought uh, destroyed my my life (laughs) in a good way. Um, And it was these two sentences uh, uh, in uh, church planning movements by Garrison. He said in the years that followed, Langston was joined by Calvin and Margaret Fox. So these are missionaries. Langston, some guy Langston, joins Calvin, Margaret Fox's husband-wife couple, and together they planned what it would take to reach all of the cooey with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "They did what? <laughs> they did what? Did I see that the first time I read this in my missiology class in seminary?" It said together they planned what it would take to reach all of the Kui. I'm like, "Who does that?" So I'm like, "Well, maybe there's only a hundred Kui, so it doesn't matter." It's pretty easy to reach it. <laughs> so I look up the Kui you guys online. There's 1.6 million Kui. Wow. So these crazy missionaries, this husband and wife, and this Langston guy, they're like, "Hey God, we're going to the Kui. We're, we want to reach all of them. <laughs> you know, we're praying to reach all of them." I'm like. They never taught me that in seminary. I've never heard of anything about trying to reach a whole people group or disciple, a people group. I've never heard of that in my life. And I keep reading in his book, and it's just over and over again, you guys, these missionaries would ask the what we now call the wig take question. What's it going to take to reach all of the Kui? What's it going to take to reach all of the Bojapori? What's it going to take to re- and Garrison talks about how he got it from David Watson, who had asked the question for his work among the Bojibori. What's it going to take to reach the 90 million Mm Bojibori in this 20 year generation? And you guys, that wig take question, (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. it rocked me. And I just thought, should we be asking, what's it going to take to reach the million in our region? Should that be our question? Not just another 10,000 in 10 years, but what's it going to take to reach the million? And we're willing God to do whatever it's going to take. So we kind of began to ask that question. And when you start asking question about, a group of people that size, you you don't have many options in terms of a strategy that would allow you to multiply disciples to reach a million people in 10 years.
0: So did you come up with what it was going to take?
2: So, yeah, I think. I don't know if we came up with it, but we discovered what it was going to take. Was that, I felt, felt like that like, was the natural uh, follow up. We, <laughs> we felt like what it was going to take if we wanted to see disciples multiply to reach a million people, it wasn't going to take 10 more mega church campuses. It wasn't going to, we couldn't scale to that level. It was going to take ordinary people, ordinary disciples making disciples that make disciples and make disciples, churches planting churches that plant churches that plant churches. We knew we had to have some kind of a uh, CPM process like DMM if we wanted to see a million in our region reached in the next 10 years. In fact, you guys were meeting as a leadership team talking about this when God kind of gave us that vision of let's pray for a million in the next 10 years. We wrote it on a whiteboard and we started talking about well, our current strategy. So how are we going to reach a million in our current strategy? You guys, we realized it took us about 30 seconds to toss that out the window as being like totally incapable of, you know, accomplishing a prayer like that. And we tried to measure out the cost of reaching a million in 10 years based on uh, you know the cost in the first 10 years, we ca- calculated it to be like $5 billion or something <laughs> like <that. laughs> to use our current methodologies to reach a million. So, I mean, guys, it didn't take the leadership yeah. team long to go, if God has given us a vision for a million, we've got to have some kind of a CPM strategy or there's just, there's no way you're going to
1: get there. Yeah. And you're not exa- exaggerating, right? I mean, it's literally, it'd be like billions of dollars, I mean,
2: At five billion. Yeah. No, we, we we did the exact calculation because yeah. in the first ten years we took all that we all the money we had spent, uh, divided it by um, the number of baptisms, and got a cost of about five thousand per baptism. So we multiplied five thousand times a million.
1: Okay and and, and again a reminder to people I'm uncomfortable with those numbers. <laughs> a reminder to people that this is a church that's killing it. I mean uh, in comparison right to most of the churches that we've been a part of like right. we might see a new believer or two a year. I mean most churches it's even less than that, right? And so like how much money it costs like, in the way that we do things, actually see one new baptized believer in America. I mean, it's it's painful, actually, to hear those numbers. It's actually, it like, it brings you to tears if you really stop and think about it. And so the courage, I mean, that you guys had to, to begin to take pretty radical steps mm-hmm. of taking something that's been pretty successful, right, especially in the paradigm that it's in and the way that you guys are doing it. everyone would point to it and say, these guys are killing it. In fact, I remember reading a book when I was on staff with a pretty big church that used you guys as an example of something, doing something. I forget. I don't even remember what it was, right? And I remember that was right when Roy was telling me about you guys and I'm like actually I think these guys are becoming like weird DMM people and so that's just funny that's a side note I don't even remember what book it was um and so like th- dudes, what what's happened in the past couple of years I mean what does this look like for you guys like are you mobilizing people I imagine you've had to lose a ton of people who just like were attending your church right
0: whoa. whoa, whoa. I feel like we <laughs> what? <laughs> I feel like we skipped some things. You've you've clearly read the book and had a conversation. My bad. My bad. And you just uh the the Titanic sinks. <laughs> so we've gone too far. Mm. We need to pull this thing back. Um you need to fill in the story. So that was 2007 when you wanted to plant or had this idea and then 20 so 10 years 2017. So 2017 to now, what has happened is what Corey meant to Isn't say.
1: Isn't that what I just said? I feel like that's what mm-hmm. I just said.
0: You that's you what, sort of gave some things
1: away. That's what Go I, ahead. That's why I meant, Chris.
2: So leading up to this, so in year eight, we felt like God was giving us this vision for a million in 10 years. In, in and wanting, in wanting our leadership team was wanting to be willing, even though we knew it would be hard, to do whatever it was going to take. We knew guys like you're implying that what it was going to take would require us to count a cost as a church. Hmm. We knew that. Yeah. And we knew that not everybody would want to come along on the journey. And again, it wasn't just, obviously we could go into the longer version. It wasn't just reading that in a book or knowing Victor John. It was, I mean, between the great commission the mentors in our life, our time of reading, fasting, praying. We just sense God leading us really to press into this um, million and 10 years. And so we knew that we would have to prepare our church for that. So guys, so from year eight to your 10, your 10 at the 10 year anniversary is when we made the announcement to the church, Hey, this is the direction, you know, the elders, the leadership team, this is the direction we feel like God's willing us to go. So year eight to 10, you guys, were just kind of preparing things. We're starting to do some sermon series at our church. One was called Meltdown, the Decline of the American Church to kind of establish the problem. And then we did a series called Miraculous Movements to establish what could be a possible solution. You know what I'm saying? Just dripping the vision to folks so that when the 10 year anniversary came along and we you know, said, you know, God's given us a vision change. It's you, you kind of knew something was coming. Th- th- our hearts were being stirred.
0: We were shaping so a was, mindset. Mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We were trying to, we were trying to help people um, come along. And so during that time, we also trained our first hundred people so that at our 10 year anniversary, we could commission our first DMM church planners to go out and do this. Mm. So you guys made it to our 10 year anniversary. We have a gathering in the Coliseum where it was the only place we could think of where we could all fit a basketball Coliseum. And we met in the Coliseum. And you guys, Victor John, I don't know if your listeners would know who that is, but he came that day, which was amazing for us to just say, hey, God's done amazing things. But there's a guy here in the front row in the last 20 to 25 years. They've seen over 10 million people come to know Christ and all these hundreds of thousands of churches playing us. So it was awesome to have him there. But we just said, hey, we celebrate all these baptisms and all these people that have committed their life to Christ. We love what we've been a part of. This is amazing. But there's a million people in West Texas that need the Lord.
0: Mm.
2: And we recognize if we just keep doing what we've been doing, it's we're not going to reach them. Uh, especially because our strategy, as you guys might imagine, the traditional American strategy is a come strategy. You mm. come to us. Well, you know what we found out about most lost people? Most lost people don't want to come to Ivy Church, right. so they're not going to be reached unless you go. And so we just established that we feel like God is leading us to transition as a church to a DMM vision. And you guys, you should have been in the Coliseum. People are hearing this a million in ten years, and, and what's Victor Victor's done? And the transition—they're kind of going. Yeah, I mean, what does this mean? You know, One dude in the back. I, I was just, yeah. So I've been trying to be excited, and then so we had our um, of the hundred we trained fifty wanted to move forward, so we had fifty people. We laid hands on them at the front of the Coliseum and sent them out, and it was awesome to me you and to our team. And I think to to everybody in a sense, but I think people heard it's going to be different. And, you know, a lot of people, and uh, you know, I totally get it like the way it was, you Mm -hmm. know? And so we, we just told folks, Hey, if, if God doesn't lead you to join this journey with us, no problem. We bless and send you. And there's so many great churches in our town. I'm friends with a lot of the pastors that, you know, if you want kind of more of a traditional church experience, that's awesome. Join them. But you know, we, we were definitely honest about the fact that that's not what ours was going to look like anymore. So we went to, to make a long story short, went through a series of phases. So early on when we knew Victor John and we were just doing our thing, we were kind of in what I call the bless phase. We were blessing movements. We believed in movements. We'd heard about him in India. That's fantastic, but wasn't really affecting us here. We moved from bless over time to releasing people to go and do this. Believed in it enough at our church that we began to send people out, not only to the nations, but even in our own communi- community to implement some of these principles. Then we moved from kind of just releasing people to kind of do that apart from the church to more of a hybrid model, like what Roy describes. We ran that for a while, which led to what I call a transition model, where we go from the hybrid is kind of the gas engine, electric engine together. The next one is transition where we, one engine and the engine is going to be the, pro, the, the, uh, the vision is going to be DMM and we're going to leverage everything in our church for DMM. So we went through that phase, which the book, uh, Corey largely discusses. And then the last phase, uh, was relaunch where over time that transition led us to relaunching as a network of churches. Now they're in, that have now jumped to 12 different States and even other countries like in, uh, Thailand and some folks joining us in Sri Lanka and in uh, South Korea. So that's that's the short version of the phases kind of we went through. Mm-hmm. To now again we exist not as a weekend service, a traditional weekend service. We are now a network of DMM churches, you know, across the nation and even around.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what does that look like for? Oh, man, I got like 80 questions. I don't even know where I'm going to gonna start, sit man. back. I'm
1: just going to let Brian ask you some of these because uh, <laughs> okay. I know I know things are stirring in his brain.
0: Well, like the things that came up was, or in my mind, like, well, you know, the way you just described that was fantastic. Like I, I can't imagine doing that any other way. You know, it's clear. And it's easy to say that now that it was clear because you're looking back and going, yeah, we had this phase and then we moved to this phase. And you might have planned that. But, we didn't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, we did. Only hindsight. <laughs> yeah. There's another part that's like, you know, would you have done anything different? You know, what did you train them in? What, what's the average? What's the average person? What's their experience like? Is are you investing in leaders when you say we got 12 or we got DMM churches in 12 states? What what's that mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's just a lot of stuff that's yeah, rolling that's around good. in my head. So,
2: yeah. So. We, we stay connected, uh, which we think is very important, through a network of coaching relationships. So coaching, one of the seven elements kind of in our, D, it's a DMM training that we take people through that that um, I didn't come up with. We received it from overseas. God had used it in many places. And Stan Parks, who's kind of been our direct mentor, passed that on to us, and we were uh, passing it on to others. And so all of these folks forming these what we call Gen Zero DMM churches had been through this uh, DMM training. And we stay connected together through a series of coaching relationships. So in the way Stan coaches us as we are you know, continuing on this journey, we're coaching the folks in all of these in Lubbock and in all of these different areas that are on a similar journey. So we stay connected in that way. Locally, you guys, the DMM churches that are here locally, we will still gather, but just not regularly, maybe every couple of months or something for prayer and testimony and we we'll uh will worship together and that kind of thing just to come together and celebrate what god is doing but we primarily uh the ministry and the, the church meetings and all that primarily happen happen outside the building and we're using our our building now for access ministry missions mobilization for these you know kind of irregular gatherings that kind of thing trainings uh you know we'll pl- plan to have um, events there and so on uh, so that's how we're staying connected to the folks that are in these DMM churches. And when people ask about the DMM churches, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you mean house church? And we say, no, yeah. <laughs> but we, we we don't use that term on purpose because you guys are probably like this. If you hear the word house church, you associate that with something. Yep. And usually what people associate it with is not what we're doing.
0: Right. Yeah. We say the same thing when yeah, people say, so- hey, do you have a house church? I'm like, well, I mean, I have a house yeah, <laughs> and the and the church meets there. Uh, yeah. If you mean yeah. that, then yes. But otherwise, please do not associate any of the stereotypes that are currently rolling around in your head with that. So. Oh, yeah.
1: And in fact, I w- I was gonna ask Brian, what is what did Chris just describe? What does it sound like?
0: Uh, it sounds just like the underground. It sounds
1: like Casey Underground. Yeah, I mean, yeah. our starting point was a little different, right? Right. And, um, but that's why it's like as I've heard your guys' story and and ran, ran alongside you without really fully knowing that we were running alongside you. We've come from two different places, but of essentially running with mm-hmm. the exact same idea. Some of the terminology might be a little different, um, but the principles and other, th- I mean, it's like eerily similar which it makes you a really great podcast guest yeah. because you can speak to some of the specific things. I mean, cause that's kind of what I'm wondering, what are some of the things that you're learning? Some of the barriers, some of the stuff that's like, man, I wish we would have done this differently or we would have pushed this, you know, just what are, what are some of the things that you guys have been learning?
2: Yeah. Great question. So one thing I tell folks, we've got these seven elements kind of are a part of our training and these do not describe really the DMM process. You guys they more describe these Stan said they added these to the training because people would go through these DMM trainings around the world and they would ask, so what do we do now? Right? Like you finish a training, you're like, so, okay, Monday's coming. So now, now what? So these seven things were seven things that they encouraged us to start doing as a way of, as you can tell from the book cover there, Corey, as a way of raising the sales for movement. And these seven things are focus on God's word, multiply extraordinary prayer, Cast vision to believers, train believers to go out among the lost, see groups start, and then ongoing coaching is number seven. And so I'd say one thing we've learned and we share all the time is if you if if uh, I were to ask somebody, hey, guess which one of those seven I think is most important? A lot of people say, well, probably prayer. That's pretty important. <laughs> you know, probably focus on God's word. Got to do that. Or maybe go out among the lost. That's really important. Obviously, they're all important but I tell people and this is one thing we've learned the most important thing you can do if you want to catalyze a movement is have a coach that's been there they've seen it they know the principles they've got experience and they can guide you so I you guys and you guys may see this in in your area take people through a training they're like yeah I'm yeah and if they don't get involved in a coaching relationship, they never you never hear from them again. And usually they're just back to what they were doing before. But the guys that are in ladies that are really getting after it, kind of in our circles, our network, are those that are as a discipline meeting with us every week for coaching. And not for me to like teach them something. It's more peer coaching, you know, and accountability. What are you going to do this week? It's about making progress each week and following the things Jesus is leading us to do in the context of community. So I'd say one thing we've learned that – um, that I think some people in the DMM community have said has not been an emphasis. I don't know if you guys have always seen it as an emphasis in your circle is this idea of coaching. Training has always been an emphasis. You got to train, got to train, got to train, but coaching you guys, ongoing coaching. I tell people without that, you often don't focus on God's word or multiply extraordinary prayer or go out among the lost. You need that, that coaching environment. I just got out of one an hour ago where you're encouraging one another as you're, putting these principles into practice in your area.
0: Yeah, we have a pathway with three different coaching teams primarily, where if a missionary comes, somebody that wants to commit to be a missionary in Kansas City, um, they don't know where to start. The first step is the personal calling and discovery team, which for us is a coaching team that's helping you discover your story, discover your gifts, your passion, where that collides with your story, where you've seen God move to say, "It, it might be here, where he's leading you to plant the gospel, you're uniquely positioned for this. We've seen it in your story. We want to encourage you in that. Then we move people to a team called Startup Coaching. This is, I want to go plant the gospel in this place. Mm-hmm. What do I do next? And Corey is the master at starting things. So once they get into, I'm starting things, I'm seeing movement happen, It's we got an ongoing coaching team. You're assigned to a coach. Like let's let's keep moving down this road of, we're gonna have conversation and just keep saying what's the next right thing, what's Jesus calling you to next. And I, I would agree. I don't I don't want to downplay prayer and God's word either. But there's something about the accountability and the movement of just doing this in community. That keeps
2: this thing rolling. Yeah. And the focus on God's word and prayer, you guys, comes out of ongoing coaching. That's right. That's what makes you devoted to those things. So right. those things, all of them are important, but ongoing coaching helps you make sure you're doing them.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I always say that. I mean, movements are are leadership development and really coaching development movements. I mean, you're always raising up leaders who are raising up leaders who are raising up leaders. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, like our journey with movement stuff here in the States is that most of our coaches are overseas? We may not know them, they're indirect, you know, whatever. And, uh, and that actually drove me. And I wanna share this little story because it kind of intersects with your family a little bit, because I'm on a monthly little huddle call with your dad. Um, and oh. because, uh, so Phil Alessi, myself, mm-hmm. a handful of others, uh, guys who are focusing on, um, planting the gospel in jails and prisons and seeing and catalyzing movement in those settings. And for me, that uh, that whole Pipsy acronym that you have in your book of, of mm-hmm. generally people who are, have a hunger for God, sometimes it's more on the, the margins of society. People who've, who've been through some really hard stuff are crying out, right? And, and uh, for me, and I was at a, a church and, and seeing some cool stuff, I was like, I was really crying out because I wanted my own stories. You know, I wanted I wanted to be able to coach people. I wanted to say it not from what, you know, this guy in India said. I wanted to have my own one. Those, that's amazing. Those are cool stories, but I got to have some of my own. And so I asked God where he was at work and he kind of showed me to start with some of the guys in jail. And we saw some we saw incredible fruit for a while in a local county jail by merely releasing it like I mm-hmm. meet with people we talk about Jesus I teach them how to do a discovery bible study personally and gathering people around it and say go do it and then we'll come back a month later I'm talking to those guys we coach I mean I go every week but I'll talk to those guys in that pod and suddenly we'll we'll hear about the fruit that God is doing right not because of any great teaching of mine because we release the gospel right mm-hmm. so I'm on I'm on a call with your your dad monthly as well and he's on that journey and it's kind of fun but I wanted you to to touch on that kind of pipsy uh acronym and, and kind of go a little further into that.
2: So, yeah, I mean, Corey, I I tell people all the time, I say, you know, as you're trying to figure out where your harvest field is, there's a lot of lost people in your community or a lot of lost people in the people group in which you're working. How do you know where to go? You're praying about it. I often tell people as you're praying, make sure you read Matthew 25 Hmm. because it tells us some of the places Jesus is already working. Hmm. And, then, and it talks about, you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you visited me. And goes through them. And so Pipsy sums those up. stands for Poor International Prisoner Sick. The well, Y doesn't mean anything. So Poor International Prisoner Sick. So poor is the hungry and the thirsty. Stan likes to say the Y should mean youth because they're often yeah. very receptive. But it's just so you can use it. In it. I, so, I
1: like it. Yeah. It's uh, good stuff.
2: Uh, but uh, anyway, so prisoner, which is the third there. You know, I was in prison and you visited me. Corey, I, I tell people and you guys all the time that as you're, as you're seeking the Lord about where he wants you to go, consider local jails mm-hmm. because we have abandoned some of our work in other areas. It was good work to go and assist in the jail because of crazy stuff that was breaking out there. Mm-hmm. We were working in a Pipsy neighborhood. it's a great neighborhood. I mean, we, we still stayed involved, but we were like, okay, based on what's happening here, and what we're hearing from my dad, we need to spend more time there. And so we went out there and we, I mean, uh, we, uh, several of our DMM churches have gotten involved in our county jail and we have seen remarkable things happen. If I can just share one example mm-hmm. with you guys, can I share one example? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to pull this. I need to pull this up. Cause I want to read you something. So, um, my dad was kind of the first in there. <laughs> I mean, here, and here's what's crazy. This coincides not, and this isn't related to, um, you know, moving to a network of DMM churches, but way a number of years ago, Um, our gathering that we were having kind of as a traditional church, our gathering inside the jail was called off because they were having trouble checking people in and stuff. And so they shut down the gathering. So it's kind of like, what do we do now? But we're kind of getting into DMM. So my dad's like, you know, we got to make disciples and they don't let us meet. It's kind of like Acts 8. They're thrusting us out from here. We're scattering and preaching the word wherever we go. Mm -hmm. So he goes into a pod, Corey, just like a pod, just with 70 guys rather than drawing them out into this classroom for a gathering. And you see the guy drawing at a table. And he just said, he walks up to him, his name is Tress. He walks up to him, he sits down next to him, he said, Tress, would you consider yourself to be the spiritual leader of your family? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all he said. And Tress looked at him and he was like, uh, no. And, he, and my dad just asked him, well, would you want to know how to be? And one thing we've seen in the jails, core you guys probably have too, is just that they feel like they've left their spouses, they're abandoned, their kids, they don't feel like good leaders and they want to be. So my dad says, I'll show you how, but you're going to have to bring friends. Next week, 10 of them show up. (laughs) <laughs> they wow. show up in this classroom long story short they start these discovery studies they all come to christ together they're baptized together they bring all their cellies we see a first gen church uh started in there they start multiplying groups that multiply groups we had like one stream of four you've heard this probably from my dad one stream of fourth generation groups another stream all the way to fourth generation another stream all the way to third generation so on lives are being changed i think they started like 50 groups in a short period of time mm. anyways billy last thing billy was affected by this and billy was just on fire and so another leader, you guys, this is just to me what showed the power of the multiplication. Another leader from another church went into this pod with this guy, Billy, that had been a part kind of of this network. And he called me later and he said, Chris, I had no idea why I was in there today because I met Billy and he shared this with me. And this is what he shared in lesson four of the DMM training, which he's been through. He came up with an envision statement, you know, that described what they wanted to see happen in the jail. And here's, here's an inmate's In vision statement that he shared with his church leader that was coming to offer a Bible study in his pod. (laughs) He said, Billy said, Hey, uh, sir, our vision is for Pod 6B to have an indigenous church planning movement that is led by a group of believers, thus allowing everybody in 6B to hear the gospel and have a chance to receive Christ. We're going to start with the nine churches we've already planted in here in the past few weeks. And our end vision is to have all the males in Lubbock County Detention Center have the opportunity to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior by inmate housing changes because we're going to move into other pods as missionaries. And we're going to take it to the DMM training so that there will be DGs going on in every pod. Furthermore, he wrote this down and gave it to me. Furthermore, we also want to emphasize our goal for these church planners to carry the movement on to wherever their final destination may be, whether that's in a prison or back in their neighborhood. So this church leader hears this and he's like, I just wanted to leave (laughs) because... The inmates, you guys, have yeah. been stirred up to believe yeah. that God can use them to make disciples and plant churches. Yep. And that's one story of many we could tell. But Billy, that's my dad's best guy. I saw that statement. I was just like, that's unbelievable.
0: Mm, yeah. Mm, amen. My dad's got a similar thing happening here now. He works uh, in our state prison and same thing. Just He, he was uh, 12 years in West Africa, and he'd been trying some different things and I don't think he was seeing what he wanted to see. And he finally, he said, I just decided to start doing what I did in Africa. I just grabbed a few people and taught them some stories and said, now go tell somebody else and come back and tell me who you told. <laughs> and he said they came back and they were like, you know, did they? Did you tell anybody? And it's like, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about it. He goes, let me show you what you're going to do now. You're going to get out into the yard, and when you see a few people, you're going to say, Come here and stand around. I got something to share with you. But then, uh, you know, this whole coronavirus thing hits and he can't go back in. And so he said he was calling in and uh, just to check on his guys. And they said, We need you to stop calling. Like, stop calling. You, you, every time you call, we're in the middle of, like, a Bible study. We're teaching each other. <laughs> You're distracting the work. <laughs> you know? oh, dude. So dude. So,
1: yeah, man. I mean, I, I do think it would be fun to we could just share story after story of what was happening in, in county jail, too. Because, yeah, we have similar stories. And I think part of it, yeah, is that, yeah, God is near to the brokenhearted. There's mm-hmm. also extraordinary prayer happening in jails that mm-hmm. would humble everyone any church in mm. the area right their prayer might be a little different dear god help me you know help yeah. me get out whatever it is but there is desperate prayer prayer going yeah. on there are people in in, in solitary confinement and there are people in max pods and they either go crazy or they know how to intimately talk to to god mm-hmm. right and so all we're doing we're just trying to find these people yep and empower them to reach others. There, there was a story of one of our guys who, you know, he does not has, he has no idea, right? He, he met with me and, and Brad, uh, he was, Brad's my, my partner going in and we do a little DBS with them. And, um, I just do a little similar to like a three column study. I add a column, um, and but it's essentially the same exact thing. And then we had like 400 scriptures on the back, different scripture lists. And, uh, we just started with one and we said, Hey, would you feel comfortable going and just doing this in your, in your cell? and he's like cool so he went and he did that and he came back and then he and we're like dude tell us what happened he starts telling us that not only did he get one started there he started this prayer call out and then the the cell next to him there's this guy that he wanted to fight for a really long time right and this guy's coming over here and they're starting something and next thing he knew he was teaching him how to do a DBS in their pod, so, oh, so or in awesome. their in their cell. So suddenly, cell by cell, they were going to fight. Now they're doing Discovery Bible studies next to each other, right? And this guy had come out, and and he's part of Share the Hope, which was is is kind of our micro church of of guys who it's emerged out of some of the stuff in the local county jails. Um, but I think what you, the the whole the whole Pipsy acronym conversation is so rich. It's so rich because I think not only does it say, "Yeah, there's places where God's working," and but it's also like King. It flips things upside down, right? You get a, you get a picture of the kingdom of God, right? Of mm-hmm. what God what God sees and what He's thinking and how He works that just blows our mind. Um, and I truly believe, man, that Kansas City is going to be transformed not by the uh, the mobilization of already believers, even though that's a huge part of it. But man, it's gonna be through through the margins of society, the people that we don't even the the, the jails, the prisons, the addiction communities. Man, they're mm-hmm. they're gonna they're being transformed. They're reaching their people. They're reaching their people, and those are the stories. Yeah, like what we're talking about right now, that quote unquote, normal Christians yeah. here and are so blessed and challenged by, yeah. right? Because we know God has that power. We haven't seen it in our lives for a while. We we haven't seen it in our churches for a while, but we know God has that power, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I know that you guys are seeing a lot of that cool stuff in Lubbock as well.
2: Yeah, And I love, you know, to your point, Corey, that it would be so like God for those to be the groups from which a movement of God is catalyzed. Amen. Because from them he knows he'll get the most glory for sure. Nobody would have picked them. Nobody for Lubbock to be transformed, nobody would say, I bet it's gonna come out of the jail. Yeah. <laughs> nobody Nobody would even make that up. And so if it does, if if Lubbock or West Texas is transformed and we see a movement of God and it's and you know, people like Billy that catalyze it, people's explanation would be Billy didn't do that. That must have yeah, yeah. been God. Right. And Amen. so
0: I know that honors him. Hey, I've got uh, just a couple of questions. The first one is we're in, like, we're dropping this interview in after we've already talked about this idea that we have to have a mindset of movement. We probably haven't seen full movements in our context, but we've got a lot of momentum. So we're using those three M's of mindset, momentum, movement. Let's see it. Let's tell stories about it. And let's tell our own stories. Let's just have a mindset of multiplication to get out there one day. We want to see that happen. So with that framework, we're kind of interviewing you to say, where have you seen it? What's happened? And one thing popped up when you were telling your story. You got a church of thousands. And essentially, what sounds like sort of overnight, you just sort of shut it down and transitioned it. When we do coaching with church leaders and they'll start asking us about microchurch, especially right now, because everybody's quarantined, this is a thing that happened. Uh, you know, they're thinking transition. What do we do next? Can we do something different? Well, this microchurch thing sounds cool, which I, unfortunately, sometimes I think it's just a, a thing that sounds cool. So let's try it. But my response has mostly been, yeah, don't do that overnight. But now I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, Maybe.
2: <laughs> well, I'll say this. It's kind of like um, success stories, whether it's the Beatles or something else. It seems like an overnight success or it seems like an overnight change. I would say before we got to where we were finally a network of DMM churches, it was five years in the making, at least in terms of casting vision and in terms of patience with people and trying to bring them along. Mm-hmm. So I meet with pastors all the time. You guys will hear our story and they're like, we're ready to go. And I'm like, whoa, OK, whoa. Yeah just remember there's so much time you don't see here. Mm -hmm. You see a network of churches and that's what you want to become. And that's great if that's where the Lord's leading you, but you don't see the way we tried to cast vision to our church and bring them along and have a time of transition. And, um, you know, even at one point having staff available on weekends to meet with groups of people that could ask questions. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important uh, to communicate about our story that even if it seems like it was kind of an overnight thing, was very much not the case. I would say it was probably a from the time we first started thinking we're going all, you know, we feel like God is leading us to go all in with a movement strategy. I would say until um, we were kind of now a network of churches without a week in service, I would say it's five years. Yeah. I always encourage pastors, slow down, you Yeah, know, and make sure you pray and hear from the Lord. And here's another thing you guys, I tell pastors all the time that I think is so important, speaking about mindset even is I tell them it would be dangerous pastor for you to read our story and think I'm going to do that. Mm. And here's why it would be dangerous because the spirit of the Lord still speaks to churches and he'll speak to your church and tell you what to do. Yep. Maybe the exact same thing we've done, maybe totally the opposite. I have no idea, but I said in those seven you know, letters, those seven churches in revelation, you guys, the one thing that was repeated in all seven of them is if you have ears to hear,
0: mm-hmm.
2: hear what the spirit is saying to your church. Yeah. So I tell pastors all the time, Hey, I'm glad our story inspires you and maybe the Lord would lead you to do something similar, but here's what you need to do, pastor. You need to get your elders and your leadership team. You need to get down on your knees and you need to fast and pray and say, God, what is your spirit saying to our church? We will do whatever you say. Mm. And again, yeah, we, we even have a continuum you guys that we, we uh, show folks from kind of a low risk, low commitment entry into DMM to very high risk, high commitment. And we say a lot of folks have found themselves somewhere on this, a continuum. This may be helpful to you as you kind of navigate what this looks like in your church, or it may be outside of this continuum. But we suggest you guys some, you know, whether it's what Roy Moran's done or what we've done or whatever, there's different ways to implement this. And we tell them, don't even look at the continuum and pick one. Don't choose the easiest, don't choose the hardest. Don't be like, Well, I think my church would like. Ask the Lord <laughs> I mean. We should pray and we should say, God, what are you saying? And when he speaks, we should follow. But I do tell the pastors this usually. You say to God, God, what are you saying to our church, and what do you want us to do? Whatever He tells you will require faith.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So if it seems like, oh, that, th- thank goodness, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that sounds easy, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we prayed about that because we were going to do something much more difficult. No, I mean, <laughs> usually it's going to require some faith and sacrifice. Absolutely. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look exactly like our story.
0: Yeah, that's super helpful to hear. I mean, I'm, well, I'd say it. I asked the question jokingly. I know it doesn't happen overnight. Our story is five to ten years old too it's like whenever you start telling one of these stories as well it's like where did it really start like -hmm. the first time you had a conversation with somebody about it the first book you read the Mm -hmm. first time you decided to do a sermon series like where does all of that start to make a transition into something like this Mm -hmm. and I I don't know you know it's like there is no real starting point in the sense that like God has been doing these things forever we're just Mm -hmm. dipping into the river That he has been moving into, you know, and the Mm -hmm. choices to me, like step into this or don't, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. but I'd still celebrate what you just said of, man, every faith community is a unique community that God is using to bring the kingdom and make it tangible on earth. And you need to be obedient, Mm -hmm. but you don't need to keep just doing the same thing, expecting to see the similar results that somebody else is.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think you guys, and we see this, and I think most pastor friends of mine would admit it, there is a lukewarmness that pervades the American church that must be rooted out. Yeah, come on. So what, what exactly that looks like in terms of somebody's methodology or what that means moving forward, I don't know. But I do know that our churches need to humble themselves and pray and seek mm-hmm. God's face mm-hmm. and turn from their wicked ways and repent of lukewarmness, or else, like it says in Revelation 2, he may come and remove our lampstand from its place. Mm. And nobody knows exactly what that means. We just know it's not good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? and so we don't want to experience it. But that's what he was saying to the church in Ephesus. He said, you better repent and return to your first love. And unless you do, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm sure they're going, I don't know, but I don't want that. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm repenting and returning to my first love. And so I warn pastors, too, if you are feeling um, kind of a seriousness about the state of your church, or the state of the American church is leading you to want to make a change. That's probably from the Lord. You just Mm. need to hear from him exactly how that looks in your context.
0: So you're you're talking a lot at this level of pastors that you're coaching to, but you've got these these people in your context that you're seeing them as, you know, your disciple makers that are making more disciples that are making more disciples. So that's our context. We spend a lot of time hanging out with just people that, you know, they're our friends, they're our family that we say, you're missionaries in the city, you're planting the gospel. So, Um, This question is one we've kind of been asking that I'm putting to you now, which is like, what's the uh, soul care piece with those everyday missionaries? So not just the go, 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 do, 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 Mm -hmm. disciples making disciples mission, a million people, but you.
2: Yeah. So I would say one thing that's so neat about our DMM churches is we didn't, if it, it all you guys at the beginning say, this is how long a DMM church should meet. Or even say, these are all of the exact things a DMM church should do. Although we have these seven elements that kind of guide our churches. We encouraged folks. This is one thing our church did from our formation. Go through the church passages in the new Testament and ask the Lord how he wants you to apply them. And you guys, what we ended up with, <laughs> speaking of soul care, we ended up with a meeting on Sunday mornings, which again is not among the lost on Sunday mornings. We were doing that outside of Sunday morning and during the week, and, and so on. But on Sunday mornings, this sometimes lasts three and four hours long. I've never been to China and I've never been in an underground church in China or anywhere else, but I've heard that sometimes their meetings are very long because they love being together. And they are so edified by seeing the spiritual gifts at work among them and each gift mm-hmm. edifying the rest of the body. So I would just say a natural thing that has come out of us seeking God and letting his word inform what our church looks like is we love spending time together and not just what your prayer request, but using our spiritual gifts to serve one another in love. Mm-hmm. So I would say one of the most edifying things we do as a church is as we on Sunday morning are meeting to be devoted to scripture. And as we gather together at 5 30 AM on Saturday morning for four hours to pray and do that every week, usually once a month, once or twice a month. But the times that we're together praying, which is much uh, of what it seemed like the church was doing in the book of Acts, but the times we're together acts to devoting ourselves to scripture, you guys, I can just speak personally, are so edifying to our group. Mm. And if somebody's struggling or going through something, or we had this one, a couple, they had a wayward daughter. She came in, we laid hands on her. It's just, we just minister to one another, not because we're trying to, you know, like, well, this is the section where you, I mean, it's not even lies. it's just, it, it seems like when, when, the, when believers yeah. fired up, believers get together and they're aiming to do what the new Testament says, it's hard to meet for an hour or a short length of time, because you just love the gathered church, how God moves in and through the gathered church and what that does to you. And I think we find you guys that leaving that meeting is almost, and leaving those times together, prayer times and that Sunday morning meeting are almost what set us on fire and renew our passion to go out among the lost and make disciples of a million people. And all of that mm-hmm. is the times we're together, just allowing the Lord to um, speak to us and just as a group committing to be devoted to him. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: So good. That's so good. Um, I have one other thing, unless you got something else. I'm leaning in to say
1: thank you. But yeah, one more. Yeah. Let's get one more question. Well,
0: it just, it kind of popped into my mind as you were saying that last piece is, I feel like we're the church in Ephesus or Philippi or whatever, and you're out ahead of us, the church in Antioch. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Maybe those aren't the right ones, whatever. You know the heart behind what I'm saying is like, what is uh, a word that maybe Jesus has put on your heart? Even while we've been having this conversation, that you would speak over us, speak over this community, and say, um, "Go," or, "What?" Well, I don't, I don't know how to phrase that. I'm yeah. just saying.
2: So, yeah, something that's been in my heart. I shared with uh, shared with the group this morning the same thing, and I heard this a long time ago, you guys, but it keeps coming back up, and it encourages me. And it's a quote by a guy named Justin Long at Beyond. He's a movement researcher, does a lot of the, you know, keeps track of the movements worldwide. And he's, you know, you guys probably see his reports and all that. And he said this, and this is not theory. This is what they've observed in movements worldwide. He said this, a team of two to three can reach 100,000. A team of two to three can reach 100,000. The reason that always encourages me, you guys, is because not everybody has to catch the vision. We had a big church. You'd love everybody to go along. We knew we just needed a few. Jesus spoke to crowds of people. He clearly wasn't trying to keep them because he was like, eat my flesh and drink my, blood. you know, and he, he knew that with just the disciples, he could turn the world upside down. So I'm just encouraged in our context, and I would encourage you guys in your context, even if you got people that you're just like, man, I wish they'd catch it, and they're not catching it, and, you know, we're trying to, you know, influence this group and they're just summer in and some and you can be so discouraging as you want. You, you're excited. You want people to catch it. I'm just always encouraged that a few will get the job done and not everybody has to catch it. And a few can make a powerful difference with a multiplication strategy. So we were encouraged you guys that as we approached our 10 year anniversary and we were going to announce the million in 10 years, we already had 10 teams of two to three that each reach hundred thousand that had committed to this journey with us. So we knew before we even made the announcement to our church, we had all that we needed to see if the wind of the Spirit blew into ourselves. the million made disciples up in West Texas. So I'd say in your context and to anybody that's listening, you may be listening going, I love this, I'm in, but nobody's going to want to do this. <laughs> you know? yeah. I would just say a team of two to three can reach a lot of people with a disi- with a, a multiplicative disciple-making strategy. So we should be encouraged just like Jesus had to be, even if a few respond a lot can happen, and a lot of impact can be made, and a whole city and region can be changed if just a few devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, and the multiplying disciples and churches wherever they go.
1: Amen. Man, if this mic wasn't really expensive, I would drop that, man, so so hard and fast. Uh, brother, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you um, jumping on board, joining us, here, just uh, telling us your story, and um, it's compelling and and really I want to thank you man for your courage You know, there's there it's really courageous to do what you did and because of that Your obedience really I think your voice is really really powerful to people who Have been to the same place and there's something stern in their heart and they're leading churches and They're leading people and they're like I know there's something more right the fact that you stepped out in obedience and is doing something crazy uh, is is providing opportunity for people to kind of also do the same thing. So thanks, brother. You are a teammate of ours, man, down south. Uh, if, if, when you're not playing K-State, we're even cheering for you when you guys get to the final four.
2: Um, and yeah, man, love you, brother. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, you guys. Look forward to partnering together in the future. God bless.
0: Yeah, amen. See you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Underground Podcast. We hope it's either been an encouragement to you or created a curiosity about what it means to live into a missionary mindset with an aim to make disciples and see the church emerge. If you're a missionary or microchurch in Kansas City and you're looking for coaching or just belonging within a network, we'd love to connect so we can learn about what you're doing and how you are joining Jesus for gospel saturation in this city. If you're outside the Kansas City area and have questions about what it would mean to catalyze a disciple-making movement that leads to the emergence of microchurches in every network within your city, we'd love to connect with you as well and offer whatever resources might be helpful to you. You can find out more at kcunderground.com. Grace and peace, friends.